Hello everybody, welcome to Into the Parade, Breaching the Chaos of the Church, the podcast that seeks to witness faithfulness within the body of Christ, built up in love in our generation, whether Jesus comes back or not. And that's what we're here to do. That's our job. That's our assignment and our calling. If it's your first episode listening, then we welcome you. Particularly pray that you'd be encouraged, provoked and inspired. And today, as we're going to go into the next little piece on eschatology, know also that we'll be covering textual criticism in the next couple of weeks. Mary and I will be doing that together. We'll also be looking at Dane Ortland's wonderful book, Gentle and Lowly. If you've not come across that, if you've not read it, please do get hold of it if you can and read it. It's a wonderful devotional book and we're going to take time to to really focus on some um, some glorious truth that remains true regardless of the chaos of the church. And that's why we're doing it, because the Lord remains slow to anger and abounding in love. Slow to anger, that's his nature. He's slow to anger, but he abounds in love. And we want to take um, this wonderful book by Ortland and make that more accessible for you as we discuss that together as a couple. So look out for that in the next couple of weeks. And without further ado, let's go over now to a conversation on post-millennialism. The devil wants that. On the one half is the blessing camp and on the other half is the repent camp. That's what the devil wants, okay? And that is what's happening. But actually, it comes back to this misunderstanding of what it means to, to know and worship and love a good God. Is that... The blessing is the repentance. God, for all intents and purposes, needn't be there. And we need to recapture a sense of the godness of God, the greatness of God, the majesty of God. We're both here today to do part three, oh no, sorry, part four, of our Eschatology Explained have we started? You I just asked you if you. <laughs> I just asked you if you're ready to go. I missed the question. What did you? What were you saying yes to then? I have no idea. <laughs> you don't know what you just said yes to. No. I'm going to leave this in just to make people chuckle. So you didn't realise we'd started recording, nope. All right? No, I was busy reading over my notes. Anyway, Mary, Mary has a set of notes here that this podcast is is to showcase. In part four, as I was saying, of Eschatology Explained, part four, because we did an intro session, we did a bit on premillennial dispensationalism last time. Most recently, we did the third part, which covered historical or futurist premillennialism. And then today we're going to be covering, as promised, postmillennialism. Um, and they get harder to say as you go on. <laughs> well, yeah, you just have to be composed. It's like es- <laughs> eschatology. People panic, yeah. and, and then it becomes esch- eschatology. Mm-hmm. These words, millennialism and eschatology and such like, should just be our bread Normal. and butter, mm-hmm. shouldn't they? Yeah, and I think this is one thing that I've really been noticing as I've been reading up on these different... Um, that would be some hula hoops. Um, as I've been reading up on the different um, end-time... like views and details your mind just becomes really filled with these things and suddenly it's it's really hard to see the bible as it was before and the point being that we shouldn't like this is the thing that the bible is about not 
what we often have thought that the Bible is about, like all of our thinking, all of our understanding, all of our teaching, everything should be with this in mind that the end of the age is coming. Yeah, and if it's not, I'm not even sure it's Christian discipleship. That's increasingly what I think. I think it's something that looks and sounds like Christian discipleship. But, you know, if you've got if you've got a certain level of church rhythm and it's not, you know, you just you just basically it's like eating um fat free or sugar free or alcohol free or whatever free. The the real McCoy isn't being enjoyed and I think ultimately that's I was I was chatting with someone earlier today about that that when the church in its maze for those of you who've not seen Calling Yeshua please go ahead and see that film that was our kind of main 2021 film um you know when word and spirit are divided so that if you want some solid teaching you have to go to a church that basically is like rigor mortis in worship mm. the, the gifts have stopped because we we believe that the holy spirit stopped when the apostolic age finished or if you want a bit of intimacy and, you know, a sense of life within worship, you have to just put up with GCSE level teaching of the Bible. Mm. You know, that, that's a lie of the enemy. It's what the enemy has done is an entrenched understanding of all the churches. But the kingdom of God is not stripped of alcohol or sugar or fat. It's everything. It's both and. Mm. It's the word of God and it's the spirit of God. And that is the only way of doing the mission of God. And that's what we're talking about. Eschatology. With, without eschatology, there is no mission. If, you're, mm, yeah. if, if your mission is being driven by something other than eschatology, I, I question whether it's actually Christian mission at all. Mm-hmm. It totally changes your understanding of the world. And I think we've spent this week in particular listening to a lot of teaching on Matthew 24 and 25. I've been reading up all the stuff to do with post-millennialism. And... You know, like I'm just saying, it's like it's the whole Bible then shifts. You're suddenly like, actually, this is what's important. This is what we should be thinking about. This is what we should be talking about. And it does. It changes your um, priorities in your mind because Mm. you're suddenly then thinking about the world very differently. You see the world very differently when you're concentrating on these things. And it changes the way that you view the Bible, the way that you view your daily life, how you pray. It shifts everything. Mm. You know, it's not just an insignificant thing. It's a major thing. Yeah. The blessed hope, which everybody, mostly everybody will listen and understand to be the unique hope that we have that Jesus comes. If you go to, you know, most church websites will have reference to Jesus coming in you know in in the classic statement of faith or what we believe Mm. or our values or whatever it is you know churches aren't stupid enough not to have some kind of reference but it's just a token reference or a token gesture to to the fact that this core tenet of orthodox apostolic faith that he's coming um Mm. It's almost like it's just to prove to any onlooker who might be looking at the website just to make sure that they're kosher. Mm -hmm. And of course, just having a a nominal reference to Jesus' return doesn't make make it kosher. No, it doesn't at all. So this conversation lands really within, in terms of our schedule. Um... I miss podcasting, actually. I do miss doing them more regularly, and I I miss... um, 
I just miss podcasting. I can't do everything. And writing this book, the second book, follow-up to Body Zero, is, is a priority. So Mary very, very um, helpfully has spent time on this in a way that I've not, not been able to. I'd love to tell everybody what I've been doing and thinking and writing about and that kind of thing, but that will come in the next few months. If you happen to be listening to this first episode, well, this was effectively the fourth episode in our Eschatology Explained series, then the other episodes to go back to listen to would be an overview episode that we did. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that would be the first one. And then we're covering each of them individually yeah. for more well, more detail. But as we said, kind of in, <clears throat> in each of them, this is just the kind of very beginning. You want to go and do a bit more reading yourself and I think it's really only in doing that do any of the terms really begin to make any sense and are you able to then piece bits of the Bible together whether it be Daniel and Matthew 24 and 25 and Revelation like it needs the time for you mm. to go into all of it um, it's certainly not a quick a quick a quick thing to think about or to study so yeah yeah take your time with it definitely mm-hmm um, so in this episode today, we just wanted to have a little overview of the post-millennial view and what that looks like and its core tenets and beliefs, and then have a little think about some of the implications. What are they if you believe in this? What does it mean for the church? What does it mean for you as a Christian if you hold to this view? Um, so in starting out, the, f- the first thing I would say is it's actually quite like there is a ton of stuff about pre-millennial views, whether it be the historic or the dispensational. There's a lot of stuff about it and lots of people hold to it. So you kind of you can really deep dive into a lot of the detail of it and there's lots to study. The post-mill view is definitely less held to today. It's much harder to find a lot of deep stuff on it. There's a few things floating about on YouTube and some articles, but most of it are people arguing against it there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of material from people who actually hold to it certainly from a very brief look into it that I've been doing this week but what you do find I think Doug Wilson is probably the main person today um, and he has produced quite a lot of good helpful stuff on it so he's a good person to actually go to to listen to if you're interested because he talks a lot about it and he explains it in a very clear um, way which is really helpful um, so that would be the initial thing I'd say now in terms of the actual beliefs about the timeline I think this is probably a helpful place to start off at as we've done this with the other ones so if you have a post mill view this is your understanding that in Revelation when it speaks about the millennium in Revelation 20 Jesus is going to return after the millennium, the thousand-year reign. So for a post-mill person, we actually currently are in the millennium. It's not a a literal thousand-year reign of Jesus on earth. It would be what would be considered to be the church age just now, Um. Mm-hmm. What we're currently living through is understood to be the millennium. So their understanding is that at um, at AD 70, 
this was the point in history where much of what Jesus speaks about in Matthew 24 and 25 and other places in Revelation, this is where most of this prophecy, if not all of it, has been fulfilled, historically speaking. So this they were told to a preterist understanding where these events were in our distant past, but as they were written in the gospel, would have been in the near future or for John in his near future because John wrote Revelation before the destruction of the temple in AD 70. So we then live in the church age, the millennium, and at the end of the millennium, Jesus will return. Um, There will then be the immediate resurrection judgment of everyone and then the new heavens and the new earth will come into existence and that will all happen straight away. Now, before there's the resurrection, there will be, from my understanding, there will be a dip in, like, there will be a, obviously there'll have to be the final battle with Satan, which will take place at this time from what I can understand, um, because the thinking is that for post-mill beliefs, Satan was bound at Christ's resurrection, which means Satan is bound just now until just before Jesus returns and then there will be the final battle, Jesus return, etc. And all of that will happen at that moment in history. All hell will break loose. Yeah. So that's, that is the general understanding of where uh, post-millennialists understand the major key passages related to the end of the age and that prophecy, and really this is what all the views hinge off, is how you understand biblical prophecy, how you interpret it. So this would be something that would be worth just having a little chat about just now and how post-mills generally understand biblical prophecy. Um, it's, worth, it's probably worth noting briefly about the historical placing of this belief. Um, as we said last time, the early a lot of the early church fathers were historic pre-mill. Um, and then, of course, once the Roman empire took on christianity everything radically changed for christians at that moment in history so for their for the christian church the early church up until that period in history there had been a lot of persecution um that had happened significantly across the roman empire you know you can look back to nero and other events and see the persecution that took place but so a pre a historic pre-mill understanding of the end of the age makes a lot of sense when you're looking out for an antichrist, you're expecting it in persecution, all these things you're waiting to happen. Whereas once the Roman Empire had adopted Christianity loosely, well, say in inverted commas, um, persecution then basically stopped. So historically speaking, it felt difficult for, I guess, Christians and the church to look at the world and think to expect that sense of persecution to come in the way that it had now gone. Um, so the post, post-mill post views and also a-mill views, which we'll look at next time, began to take more prominence in Christian thinking. And this idea of um, an ever-increasing Christian world began to take place 
um, in the thinking of the church. So that's really where, you know, the view is kind of held. And um, the Puritans were also predominantly post-mill as well. Um, A lot of kind of the missions-orientated organizations can often be placed historically with this as well the idea of christianizing the world before jesus returns so that and at that point you know jesus will return so that's a little bit of where it would be placed in history and why the change kind of happened does that make sense Mm -hmm. yeah the post-millennialists tend to refer to the to their own eschatology as being the most positive of of all of them you know referring to um the golden, the golden era, or the golden age, mm-hmm. in which the re-evangel- the evangelization of the globe has the Christianizing of the world. Now that that is no is undoubted in one sense, it is the most positive. But oh, that's, definitely. But, but that's clearly not the mo- that's clearly not the point. The the issue is: is it most truthful? Is it most reasonable from yeah. looking at scripture? Yeah, I think I I do think I can see the appeal of post the post millennial view. Because it is the most optimistic. I mean, if you wanted the world to go any way, you would want it to go the way that the post-millennials view it, where there's this ever-increasing Christianizing of the world happening to the point where all, as they understand, you know, all the nations will be uh, evangelized and reached and the gospel will go out through across the nations and then Jesus will return. So there's this idea that, you know, history is only ever going to go this way. So I, I can see, I can really see the appeal of it. Yeah, but um, well, and also that there isn't if there's not a literal millennial, a, a literal one thousand years, then happy days in that in that sense. You know, we touched on that in the yeah. previous episode where it feels a bit, depending on how you understand the millennium, what's going on then, what mm. that is like compared to life now, you may feel disappointed at the thought that. <laughs> The new the new heavens and the new earth are always at least one thousand years away from from the moment that Jesus does return. Yeah. So, but and and who like none of us want to go through massive tribulation, persecution, death, the mark of the beast, the anti like that's not a nice prop prospect. Um. But again, we can maybe at the end we can touch on some of the implications of the view again what it means when you believe this. Mm. Um, but just coming back briefly to uh, prophecy, and I think this is a really interesting part of any of these views, is looking, and again, this is a bit of a topic that I haven't done enough on yet. I still need to do more reading on piecing together prophecy and what it looks like. But whereas the pre-mill understanding interprets prophecy very literally, mm-hmm. um, so we looked at that last time, and thought about how the prophecies of Jesus were very literal, that we would we saw those come exactly as they were. The post-mill understanding of prophecy is a bit more allegorical, I think is the best way of describing it. And uh, they would understand that most of prophecy has been fulfilled already in the sense of AD 70. But even when they look at the prophecies about these events, they will interpret them differently to how a pre-mill would interpret them. So uh, one of the big ones that comes up, and this is one when I was listening to Doug Wilson, he mentions a few times, in Matthew 24, Jesus speaks about the sun going dark and the moon going dark and the 
the stars falling and all of this episode. Mm. And this is obviously quoting passages in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Now, this is how I would understand it. So to be be clear, Jesus quoting the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. In reference to the end of the age. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'll come back to that term because it means something different to the post mills for this period in history. But when Jesus, in their understanding, when Jesus quotes this, you have to go back to the Old Testament, which is good. You must do that. But they would say that this is not a literal thing that is going to happen. It's symbolic language whenever a nation or a city is destroyed. So that when Jesus quotes it, the disciples were not actually expecting cosmic signs in the the skies that indicated the end of the age it was simply language that had been used by the prophets in the old testament to describe these massive events that happened in history when israel was removed and the destruction of different cities and that kind of thing i would see this differently and i think we would see this differently where the the old testament prophets their prophecies about the last days can both refer to then and future. Like it doesn't have to be one or the other. Mm-hmm. Whereas for the post mills, it seems to be that there has to be more of a concrete understanding. Post mill. Yeah. And that these, these prophecies shouldn't be taken literally. Like we should not be expecting to see the sun and the moon darkened, for example. They think one word in Revelation is, is, is not literal. No. So all of these things can be understood in mostly in historical terms mm-hmm. of events that have already taken place. So this was a little thing that I hadn't understood specifically about, because um, I got confused here because I was like, right, if if all of these events that Jesus is speaking about in Matthew 24 refer to the destruction of the temple, I couldn't really understand the years and everything around you know, essentially the destruction of the, the Judaic temple is understood to be the end of kind of an age. Yeah, well, that's that's Doug Wilson's big defining. Yeah. Is, is the end of the Jewish epoch. Is done with the... With, Jewish, with AD 70's destruction with, yeah. of the temple, yeah. But there then is this overlap so that the Christian age begins at Pentecost. Mm-hmm. But there's this 40-year gap, overlap, sorry, between these two ages. Mm -hmm. So he, Doug Wilson, would understand this to be like the 40-year wilderness Mm. of this changeover period Mm. between these two ages, which have now, you know... They've they've overlapped and and, and and then they're distinct and then separate, mm -hmm. yeah. So it's... I can understand... I find it hard to see the way that prophecy is sometimes interpreted here. But Doug Wilson would also, again, talk about not interpreting um, prophecy literally. Mm-hmm. So that's the the big difference. Well, in all, in all cases. Pretty much, yeah. So he would talk about not wooden is the word he uses. We mustn't you know, interpret things woodenly mm-hmm. um, in that sense. So like I say, there's probably a lot to 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 really study in this, to really dive into and see how do they understand all the prophecies to do with Israel, for example, and what does it mean in terms of the church and all these different levels that come to it. But mm-hmm. essentially that's the kind of big overview of the understanding if you hold to this 
this belief about the millennium. Which actually ties in with the common uh, pattern that tends to be that post-millennials, post-millennialism is linked with cessationism. Yes, and to me, there seems to be an obvious link there. I'm not sure it happens all the time, but I can certainly see that if you are cessationist, I can see that the post-mill view would make a lot of sense because for pre-mill belief, you're expecting a satanic character, the Antichrist, to appear performing signs and wonders. So it's unlikely for you to think the enemy is going to have the power to do these things and God and his church are not going to be able to do it. That Mm. doesn't make any logical sense. Whereas if you're continuous, the thought of there being a spiritual reality where good and evil can perform signs and wonders by different spirits, that's just not an issue (laughs) at all. Whereas if you're cessationist, I can see that that would be much more of a problem. Mm -hmm. On that point, it's worth, if you're interested in this, we've done a little bit of content on it. I'm hoping to do more in in the rest of the year, um, working with a friend of mine who may be listening, and if you are, greetings, um, who's a senior leader of a church in uh, Edinburgh, has has been for 30-plus years, and who, who believes that the gift of tongues and the other gifts of the Spirit stopped, ceased, um, when when the apostles passed, passed away, um, and that apostolic era finished. It's a little bit... Is similar. It's a similar understanding of the passage of time in scripture and so on. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. Anyway, all that to say, you know, we, we, having dialogue about these kind of things is important. Mm. Um, is very important because they're not small issues. I think the biggest thing we want to challenge in all of it, including eschatology, is that it's not. It's not. It's not really acceptable just to say, well, okay, well, as long as we're watching, because uh, because not prioritizing eschatology let's be honest doesn't result in that no. so again it's a token gesture is to say well as long as you're watching but actually we're not really watching because we're not really studying the bible on this yeah. to understand as best as we can i mean surely people want to know that to have to come to a settled place yeah i mean you would think and i think going back to what i said at the beginning it's not until you really take on the challenge of studying and reading and learning about this that it begins to fall into place but also that it helps to change your, really what your understanding of the Christian expectation and hope is. It really transforms that when you understand what is going to be happening in the world. And it's not insignificant. It's just really not. It's not something that we can just say, well, it'll happen when it happens. Or, you know, like we said last time, if you hold that view, you're not going to be ready. And if we're, if you're, Mm. if we're expecting tribulation, you're not, you will not stand. Your love will grow cold. You will not be ready. You will not be watchful. That's just the reality. And the Bible tells us that. Um, but just on that thought, it's probably worth having a little think about the implications of this view. So um, we obviously discussed this last time with the pre-mill and um, thinking about the post-millennial understanding of the world. Um, it's actually quite interesting because... I don't think in terms, you can look at it from two perspectives. First of all, from a missions perspective, I think regardless of which view you hold to, it it literally doesn't matter because there's this understanding that either 
you're responsible with the work of the Spirit in the post-mill view to bring forth the gospel into all the nations in order that Jesus will then return. Missions is very important. Like, it's forefront because that is what Jesus has said to do. The command is to go out and to disciple and to make disciples of all nations. So mission doesn't change. It stays the same, I think, regardless of what view you're in. I think, as we said before, with the dispensational view, which believes that we will be out before the rapture, so we won't go through it, or the postmill view, if you think you're not going to go through massive tribulation or persecution, I think that could potentially be a problem. Um, I can see that Doug Wilson and others still understand that, you know, it's not always going upwards, that persecution does exist. You can't deny it. Mm. But I think I think if there is going to be a great tribulation with great persecution and death and that level of intensity, I'm not sure that a post-mill view will adequately prepare you for the the trial that is to come Mm -hmm. if post-mill view turns out not to be correct, basically. In what way? In what way? Well, well, I think if your understanding of the world is that we're constantly going on an upward Mm -hmm. curve to a more Christianized world, the and that, the obvious and, understanding is then that there's going to be less persecution. Yeah, and that's what they believe. That's what post-millennium millennialists believe that's happening, even when Russia invades Ukraine. Yeah, or there's camp, you know, you know, slave camps in North Korea, or you mm-hmm. get killed for being a Christian in Iran, like. The their overall view of the world is that it's going upwards. And I just, personally, I don't want to give too much of my own opinion about this just now. I find it an odd understanding mm. of the world. Mm. Um, and my feeling is it comes from a, a fairly easy background, you know, Western civilization where on the whole we experience significantly less persecution virtually no persecution um compared to the majority of the nations across the world today mm-hmm. and you know he t- Douglas Wilson talks about in one of his videos about making sure that we don't have too small a per- perspective and oddly enough i think that's what could be happening within this view is that you're not really looking at the majority of people across the world today, but also across recent history. I'm just not sure that the world is going this way. I'm pretty sure I've said this before in this small series and certainly in the podcast prior to this, that I I expect that the biblically truthful, faithful eschatology will become clearer, or at least... You know, for example, if futurist premillennialism is what happens, which is what we believe, let's just let's just say it as it is. If we had to choose a position, it's that we're you know historical future premills. Um, if that is true, then it will become increasingly obvious. Mm. You know, if, if we're if we're within the last week of years, as according to Daniel uh, nine, is it or Daniel? Eight, can't remember. 
um, that will become it will become increasingly obvious, won't it? If if an, yeah. if someone like the Antichrist emerges, so what I'm saying is, I think it's I think it's an encouraging thought that at the point at which you know. Um, you know, you enter into the three and a half years prior to Jesus' return. You know, the sorry, the the, the period of time, the, the seven years prior to his return, mm-hmm. that um, it will become clearer, and that there'll be prayer and repentance about that from within the church yeah. who are being prepared. I think that's an encouraging thought. Mm-hmm. It's so much. It's such a, you know, there's. Yeah, I I just think that there, there are nuances here that we're not going to have time to cover, but. I think there's a big difference between folk like Doug Wilson, who's you know adamant in the sense of post mill being what the Bible teaches, and it, I suppose it might be, but and the the pre mill dispensationalism that I, I I find harder to mm. I find that harder to uh, reconcile with a a good heart posture before God mm-hmm. because. Really, it's all about escapism. It's, 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 you know, get us out of here. We're not going to be here. And mm. that, sure, you can have a, a genuine sense of urgency and readiness if that's what you believe. But is that true across mm. the eschatological view? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but just the, the way that this is, I think, I think in one sense as we... You know, it's it's going back to Jesus' words in Matthew twenty four about labor pains. Labor pains increase in regularity and force and mm-hmm. pain, and so if we're living in those types of significant days, we should expect over the course mm-hmm. of the next few decades for it to become clearer. Yeah, and there is a criticism that comes from the postmill camp that I think is valid, where they talk about you're not reading. And and I think this goes for the dispensational view particularly where people tend to read the Bible into newspaper headlines and, Mm. you know, events that are happening around the world. You you can take that too far, which is where people have ended up in, you know, they see the the Antichrist in everyone or any any character throughout history. Um, So there's a fine... I think there's a fine tightrope to be walked there, you know, where you're reading your Bible, you're studying it, you're wanting to understand what Jesus' words are, but you're not jumping to conclusions about stuff. You're mm. you're holding to the timeline that Jesus has put in place, which maybe within our lifetime, you know, there are lots of people who think it could be in a few decades. There have always been people that, yeah. but, you know... Um, but equally it might not be and that doesn't mean to say that a view isn't correct because you suddenly just don't see it in your lifetime Mm -hmm. that's about having God's perspective on human history that we are just not privy to so important to remember that it is and and mainly that we're not banking on Jesus returning in our lifetime no. We're not in in that sense if we had to choose what's most likely well that we, we won't see that um, but we have to put a stake in the ground for our children, if we had them, but for our, you know, for spiritual, spiritual children mm-hmm. and, and their children or their children, yeah. even if it is another three generations, four generations, five generations yeah. out. The point is preparation. God knows when he needs to be working within his people on the earth in order for there to be a bride prepared. And when you look at the church now, is she, would you use the word splendor to describe her? 
No, you wouldn't. You would describe her as a trollop. <laughs> you, well, you would. Uh, 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 the language of the Bible is whore, spiritual unfaithfulness, idolatry. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tart the language. No. Up. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna dial it down because some people will be upset. I'm using the language of the Bible. The the spiritual unfaithfulness, or in other words, spiritual unpreparedness, church, as we started off this podcast by talking about, that doesn't give a rip about Jesus' return, is whoredom, is spiritual whoredom. And that's the startling truth Mm -hmm. that we should all be wrestling with. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the pure prepared virgins of Matthew 25 were those who had oil in their lamps and um, I think this this kind of going through eschatological views and trying to really dig in and spending our time like last few nights we spent what three hours four hours just watching things listening you know spring watch is okay for a little bit we've got Wimbledon coming up next week (laughs) but you're not going to you're not going to grow in this unless you give time to it and that does that does come into our quote-unquote recreational time. God help us. If you've got any questions, as I'm sure, well, undoubtedly you will have questions. We've got questions. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can be of any help, please let us know. But this might just be enough to get you to do what really should be done as the main thing, which is to really dig into this for yourself and, and begin to ask the questions. What are the implications of all of this? As regular listeners can probably tell, I'm struggling with my voice a little bit here, so... Let's pray and um, just remember that this isn't primarily about either us recording a podcast or yourselves as listeners listening to a podcast. This is just a medium of, um, you know, it's a medium and a platform through which biblical truth is being considered. It's about discipleship, isn't it? It's about mm. what's reality, what's real, what's truthful. It's about um, it's about the, the condition of our hearts. It's about our nature, our character before God. Mm. You know, I'm I'm I continue to be um, unconvinced, unpersuaded that that most Christians would rather Jesus come, and that this life now, as we end, as we know it, would end. There was a choice to be with him. Mm. What, are the, what are the more powerful pulls on our heart? Our family, our children, um, the thought of a career, the thought of wanting to be married maybe one day or to have, you know, for, for some, you know, there are lots of different mm. things that in our heart of hearts are more important to us. And I'm sorry to say to you today that it, that is idolatry and that it can be the holiest looking idol in the world, but if it's a if it's a more powerful pull on your heart than to be with Christ, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, mm-hmm. um, then it's idolatry, mm-hmm. and it's wicked, it's evil. And I think this 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 kind of conversation isn't just about clarifying which eschatology is is the one that's most biblically you know likely in that sense, but it, it's, reve- it, it's it's to reveal the nature not just of our own hearts but of a nation. A, a national church really is nowhere near being the bride prepared and spotless 
calling for him to come, calling for the bridegroom to come. So we should all be in prayer, not just for our own studies and eschatologies, but for the state of a nation. Mm. The world will not be prepared for the return of Christ until the church are prepared for the return of Christ. Lord, I pray now simply that you would enable us to be prepared and you know what's required for each and every one of us mm. for, to, for preparation to result and you know that down to the most personal level of a hair on a head, how many hairs are on our heads, you know just the, the, the nature of the thoughts in our hearts but you also know you also know the health of a leadership of a congregation. You know mm. the you know the private thoughts and practices and struggles of every leader of every congregation. And you know the state of a nation. You know the state of every nation. And our prayer is that you would in this country in which you've put us that we would be involved in being prepared ourselves but also as agents of, of change, agents of preparation for the church to be built up, truly built up in love. We pray in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. Yes, Father, we just, um, oh, we just really pray for your body. We know that we're knowing you're ready. And Lord, as we just read and study and think about these things, we just really pray that it would put the correct fear in us of the reality of the world and what's coming and what you're going to do in human history Lord and would you just reorder our priorities where our lives are often about other things that we often ignore the things of your word we don't want to think about them or we want to choose other bits of it we don't want to to study we don't want to consider these things because they feel hard and they feel difficult or we don't like the idea of it Lord I just pray that as your people you would give us a desire to understand these things to know you to know the things that you are going to do and to help our hearts and minds prepare for these things Lord we need your help there's no other way that it can be done and we just pray these things Jesus in your name Amen Amen